We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Gonna take it right into the danger zone. I probably shouldn't be mentioning George Washington and Adolf Hitler in the same sentence, but I'm going to. George Washington said, Success has many fathers. Failure is an orphan. So the brilliant Operation Schickelschnitt, Sickelcut, was claimed by Erich von Manstein, Adolf Hitler, and Franz Halder as the father. If it had failed, I think Manstein would have been given credit by Hitler and Halder. Maybe I should have given a spoiler alert before I said that. So let's first look at Adolf Hitler, the man proclaimed to be the greatest military genius of all time. Großter Feldherr aller Zeiten. Nicholas von Bielow was Hitler's Luftwaffe adjutant for much of the war. He gives this account of Hitler's plan to attack across the Meuse through Sedan. He studied the roads, rivers and other obstructions to troop movements. And as the weeks went by, it became increasingly clear to him that his main thrust must be through the Ardennes towards the sedan rouen axis. On 30 October, while juggling an extra panzer and motorized division to the Allon-Sedan line, no more than a tactical strengthening of von Rundstedt's Army Group B, he saw the, the advantage of amassing his panzers. When the weather situation caused a further postponement of X day, Hitler revised his plans completely. On 11 October, OKH telexed Army Groups A and B, advising them that the Führer had ordered the formation of a mobile armoured group, which, using open stretches of country, either side of Alon, Tigny and Florenville, would bear down on Sedan. In D Directive 8 of 20 November, Hitler ordered the weight of the attack transferred from Armour Group B to Armour Group A. Jodl then discussed the document with the general staff. This time, Hitler was not aware of Manstein's ideas, which coincided very closely with his own. There's a lot wrong with that account, but the idea that I want to get across is that Hitler claimed to have come up with the same idea as Manstein for the main German attack in 1940 to come through Sedan in the centre. Karl-Heinz Freiser, in his book The Blitzkrieg Legend, has this to say about that. One of the most fateful consequences of the war in the West was that the dictator who increasingly worked himself into the role of the warlord in the end was unable to distinguish between delusion and reality. So, he was convinced that he had been the inventor of the sickle cut plan. In so doing, he stood reality on its head 
when later on he asserted in all seriousness, among the generals I talked to about the new plan in the West, Manstein was the only one who understood me. Certainly Hitler's thinking between October 1939 and February 1940 increasingly focused on Sedan. It was a city where the Germans had won a great victory over France in 1870. Hitler was more and more inclined to shift the point of main effort there. But he couldn't express his thoughts about how a campaign launched from this direction would operate. Both Hitler and Manstein had their gaze drawn to the Ardennes and Sedan. They both had the idea of launching the main attack of the German army from there. But what this attack was going to look like in Manstein's mind and in Hitler's mind, well, they were two very different things. After the war, former generals Halder and Hoth, as well as Manstein, pointed out that the ideas that Hitler tied in with Sedan were of a tactical nature. As Manstein said, Hitler had merely realised that the easiest place to cross the Meuse was at Sedan. But this military self-taught man, the polite description that Freiser uses in connection with Hitler, was not in a position to think his idea through to the end, and certainly possibly no military trained person in any country in the world at this time was capable of thinking about the problem and coming up with the extraordinarily unique solution that Menstein did. Menstein was concerned with the strategic question as to how the German army could achieve a total decision, not the Teilsieg, the partial solution, that the German army's original plan was aimed to achieve. Hitler's eyes were mainly focused just on reaching the opposite bank of the Meuse River, getting across. Manstein was thinking of crossing the Meuse only as the first tiny step of a sortie that would take the German panzers all the way to the Channel Coast, where he would trap and destroy the armies of France, Britain and Belgium. The way to get to the Channel Coast, while the Allied armies were still far forward in Belgium, was something that would require the sort of speedy advance that had not been seen perhaps since the great cavalry armies of the ancient world. As for the operational translation of this strategic idea into action, the Panzers were to drive through the Ardennes and cross the Meuse River in a surprise attack. The selection of the exact site for the Meuse crossing was a tactical problem, with Menstein's advisor Guderian coming out in favour of Sedan, because on the basis of his own familiarity, he considered the terrain there to be suitable. To get to the point, Hitler went with his gut feelings and the magic of the name of Sedan, like he would be lured in 1942 to focus his attack on a city named after his chief enemy, Stalingrad. Hitler's uninformed emotional thinking over the site that was to be the focus of the attack, compared to Manstein's cold, brilliant calculations, was an elementary difference. Hitler's almost total lack of understanding of what Manstein was proposing dramatically emerged in two ways. After the campaign was agreed on, but before it was launched, for some time, Hitler planned an 
airborne attack against Sedan, of all things. He was only able to be persuaded to drop the idea because the terrain was rather unfavourable there. That mission would have been diametrically opposed to the intended operational concept of deception behind the sickle cut operation. Undertaking that operation, Hitler would have put flashing signs for the enemy as to where the real German main effort was to be made, not to the north as they were trying to fool the Allies into believing. Later on, once the operation had been carried out the way Manstein planned, with the stunning results it produced, Nazi propaganda promoted the idea that the sickle cut operation had been Hitler's baby from the very beginning. This stupid idea of an airborne operation at Sedan is convincing evidence that Hitler didn't remotely understand what this idea was all about. Hitler only had tactical ideas about the attack of his panzers through Sedan. During the campaign after the Meuse River had been crossed in the dramatic way that Manstein and Guderian had imagined, Hitler completely panicked when the panzer divisions after the breakthrough at Sedan pushed to the Channel Coast at breakneck speed, just as Manstein and Guderian had wanted. Hitler was in a fairly constant state of apoplexy. Clearly, the attack that Guderian launched and led racing to the Channel Coast, the Operation Sickle Cut that he had planned with Manstein, was nothing like the kind of World War I attack that Hitler had in mind. More than once, as Guderian's attack gathered momentum, Hitler, or the senior generals, ordered halts just when the grandest strategic outcome beckoned. The move that could have incredibly won World War II in Europe for the Germans. It was certainly the case that Hitler and Manstein put their fingers on the same place on the map for where the German attack was to be launched from. But in Hitler's case, he was like the amateur chess player, who manages to make the same ingenious opening chess moves, by accident, that a grandmaster would. Hitler didn't know or understand the much more complex thinking process that was going through Manstein's head. In fairness, there weren't many military leaders in the world who would have. But after the unbelievable success of Manstein's plan, Hitler, from that time onwards, with disastrous results for the German army and all of Germany, wrongly believed that he was, in fact, a military chess grand master. When Hitler ordered the Panzers to stop before Dunkirk to avoid the nightmare, for him, of the traditional imperial German army winning the war, rather than the ideologically sound Nazi Luftwaffe, all he did was to save the British army from its inevitable checkmate. Just how little Hitler understood the idea behind the sickle cut will be described in detail in the analysis in the following programs, and his frequent panic at the void that the panzers were plunging into, ignoring their flanks and rear. The other man who claims credit for Operation Schickelschnitt, sickle cut, was Franz Halder. He was the chief of the German general staff, the man who, in part one of this series, had removed the annoying Manstein from 
the headquarters at Army Group A in order to silence his persistent advocacy for his plan. Only with Manstein's transfer as Chief of Staff of Army Group A and witnessing the war game of the plan that Manstein had organised did the penny drop with Halder that this was a plan of genius. So for Halder to lay claim to the sickle cut plan as his own involves claims that he had to know weren't true, although he did become a true believer, and in the absence of Manstein, it was only through Halder's support that it was able to be carried through against the panic that overtook Hitler and the top generals in Army Group A. Halder was one of the outstanding generals of the German army. After World War II, he became something of the darling of the American military. He prepared studies of campaigns in the West for the American army and was very influential in shaping their thinking. He claimed that he had already proposed to mount a counterstroke with the point of main effort running through the Ardennes at the end of September. But there is no firm evidence of that. Obviously, he did consider that possibility for a short time as his general appraisal of the options for a German attack in the West. Then he obviously discarded it because it was too great a risk. After the war, Halder claimed that with his fourth deployment directive, he made a complete sickle cut out of what had just been a sickle movement, which Manstein had only sketched out. This is hotly disputed. Manstein's first memorandum already drew the movement as one that was to go all the way to the Channel Coast. Graf von Kielmensig said, The idea was entirely and totally Manstein's. It is true that Manstein's first plans didn't speak about the Panzers, but that was being diplomatic, because mentioning them at the beginning would have resulted in the immediate rejection of those plans by the commanders of the High Command as well as by Army Group B. If his plan for a drive from the centre was accepted, then the Panzers would inevitably be deployed with that main drive. The time came for Manstein to disclose what was in his thinking in the meeting he had with Hitler on 17 February. As Yodel testified, Manstein's request for the Panzers was formulated as a conditio sine qua non, an indispensable condition. In the analysis, it so happens, he demanded strong Panzer forces or none at all. On the next day, Hitler ordered the bulk of the Panzers to be deployed to the 12th Army of Army Group A. In modern military history, probably few operations depended so extensively on the speed of implementation as did sickle cut. Guderian, who had advised Manstein regarding the tactical feasibility of his idea and who helped fashion this plan, felt that the time factor constituted the main problem. Phase 1 the Meuse River had to be crossed at the latest on the fifth day of the offensive. Otherwise, the French would be able to move reserves up to the river in time the moment they had figured out the deception manoeuvre represented by the sickle cut plan. Phase two, after crossing the Meuse River, the Panzer divisions had to push to the mouth of the Somme River as quickly as possible, disregarding their exposed flanks. Otherwise, the Allies would still be able to escape the trap in time. 
What happened, in fact, was that on the fourth day of the attack, Guderian's troops crossed the Meuse River at Sedan, just beating the approaching French reserves. When the Meuse crossing at Sedan had been run through a map exercise in Koblenz on 7 February, Halder referred to Guderian's time frame as senseless. In his opinion, an attack was possible at the earliest, on the ninth day, but probably only on the tenth day of the attack. Halder reached the same conclusion on 14 February in Mayen, when the map exercise was continued. He favoured a methodical advance. Infantry divisions were to create a bridgehead in the time-honoured way of warfare since the Duke of Marlborough. Only then would the panzer divisions follow up to exploit the breakthrough in the course of an operational-level engagement. Guderian, depressed, talked in terms of a crisis in confidence. He could no longer get any support from Army Group A headquarters because Halder had seen to it that Manstein had been reassigned. Now was the time when we needed Manstein, Guderian complained in describing the situation. Guderian's arguments later persuaded Halder that the attack over the Meurs had to be spearheaded by the Panzers. But Halder didn't want Guderian immediately charging forward to the Somme. As Army Chief of Staff, he, and almost the entire General Officer Corps, believed the Army first had to secure the bridgehead by moving up infantry divisions. The panzer thrust would then only start after an adequate infantry screen, especially on the left flank, had been put into place. This was a conventional attack sequence, with the tanks being kept on a tight leash. Manstein and Guderian's plans were not for a conventional attack. This precisely underscores the difference between Halder's half-hearted fourth deployment directive and Manstein's bold sickle-cut idea. Halder didn't dare the big leap to the Channel Coast in one swift move. Instead, he first wanted to stop in the bridgehead along the Meuse, literally halfway. In that way, he ran the risk of simply giving away the big opportunity of completely encircling the Allied Northern Wing, and thus winning a strategic victory. In return, gaining only an ordinary operational victory. Manstein, however, wanted a total decision that demanded the acceptance of the total insane risk the operation's most interesting moment was bound to come once Guderian had managed to cross the Meuse. Now we come to the question as to whether Guderian was to follow the directives of his superiors or his own ideas that went back to what he and Manstein had planned back in October 1939. In other words, was he going to execute the unplanned Blitzkrieg not included in Halder's fourth deployment directive. Menstein was the master of the grand operational plan. He showed this dramatically in this campaign and in 1942-43 after the German disaster at Stalingrad. His plan for France was actually for a double sickle cut with mutually opposite pivoting movements. During the first phase, the 12th Army was to be ready to anticipate the very turning movement that Army Groups A and B were to actually execute during the second phase of the Battle of France as Halder had planned it. 
Manstein's second hinge would have been able to swing toward the rear of the troops stationed behind the Maginot Line. But the Army High Command rejected such far-reaching considerations and stuck with the purely defensive screening of the southern flank. On the eighth day of the offensive, however, Halder suddenly found himself in a euphoric mood and, as will be shown in a radical about-face, wanted to translate Manstein's initially discarded idea for the second shickle cut into action. But now it was too late to do that without costing many German lives. Summarising, we can say this. Halder was not the author, but rather the most determined opponent of sickle cut. That kind of daredevil idea ran counter to his cautious way of thinking. His flexibility and intellectual framework, however, emerged only as the campaign wore on, when the operation increasingly gained a dynamism of its own and took place with the speed of an avalanche. As he saw the Manstein-Guderian operation unfolding before his eyes, he then fully understood the idea of the sickle cut that was now emerging in full force, and he had the military gifts to aid the execution of Manstein's plan. At the time this light bulb was being turned on in Halder's mind, Hitler and most of the representatives of the higher-ranking general officer corps seemed paralysed. Halder led the operation expertly and with a boldness that was astonishing considering his usual nature. But now it's time to advance and cross the Meuse and then for Guderian to cut loose the panzers from their orders. It was time to launch the unplanned Blitzkrieg. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday morning starting at 10.30am. Probably the world's best guided tour of an armour and artillery museum, borrowing the Danish Kulzberg slogan for their beer. If you missed this program, you can catch up with it as a podcast on Spotify, Apple and many other sites. Search for The Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close bracket. And if you like this program, you'll definitely love my other program, CYKIAE, also available on the same podcast sites.